Welcome to the Filipino American Women Project, a podcast show that shares stories and life lessons told by individuals living or have lived in America that are of Filipino descent and identify as female. I'm your host, Jen Amos, a fellow Filipino American woman, and I'm excited for you to join us. Let's get started. Jen Amos here with the Filipino American Woman Project. And as always, I have my incredible co-host with me, Nani Dominguez. Nani, welcome back to the show. What's up, everyone? Welcome back. And just curious, because we will be publishing this as soon as it's done recording almost, probably in within 24, 48 hours. I thought I would ask, Nani, how are you doing with the coronavirus? (laughs) Oh, I'm doing okay. I'm fine. I would like to go outside and see my friends, but I guess for now, video chat will do. (laughs) 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 I'm running out of wine, so there's that. Oh my gosh. I so I have friends like including you who like tag me and stuff in Insta stories, kind of like, oh, like, you know, yeah, everyone has been. I'm so sorry for inundating your inbox like that, but people (laughs) tag me and I'm like, you guys, I only have like four friends, so (laughs) all the same friends are gonna keep getting tagged. (laughs) (laughs) I don't mind. So, other than the puppies or like, you know, tagging like women that you really like look up to or admire and whatever, like, some of my other friends are doing like, oh, see a shot, take a shot, you know? Yeah. And so I'm getting tagged in those and I'm just like, I don't have alcohol, y'all. Like, I, That's like, my I excuse. Wish- I'm like, I only have wine. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I don't have it. Trust me. Like if I did, like I'd be all about it. I don't want to like let people know that though, that I'm all about taking shots because if like one person knows, then like I'm going to get tagged and everything. You're going to have a great night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm glad that I don't have alcohol right now. It's a really good excuse to not be inebriated during this crazy <laughs> apocalyptic time in our lives. Anyway, cool. Thank you for updating me. It's always great to check in with you. And yes, uh, thank with that, checking in. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And with that said, we are excited as always, because every time we get to do another show, it means that we get to interview another incredible person in our community. So I want to introduce you all to Starless and Paco. Starless and Paco launched Career Survival Guide to help early career professionals, especially women and people of color, navigate work-related challenges. Her background is in journalism and video production, and she has hosted shows on technology and Washington state legislation. In March 2020, Starla started anchoring daily broadcast segments for KCTS, Seattle's Channel 9. Starla, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Jen. It's so nice to meet you and Nani. Yes, it's an absolute pleasure to have you. Why don't we start with you sharing, how did you hear about the Filipino American Woman Project? And more importantly, what inspired you to join us today to share your story? So I actually heard of you guys through Instagram. I think it must have been through a hashtag that I was following. And so I found your account and I loved that there was this community for Filipino to come together and talk about their experiences. I hadn't seen a lot of sites or platforms like yours. So I was really intrigued. Oh, very cool. You know, it's interesting because at first when I was thinking about naming the project, I thought, oh my gosh, like the Filipino American woman project is a mouthful. (laughs) But I had thought, you know, that's exactly who I want to connect to. And if people want to know about our project, I want them to know exactly what it's about or like who it's for. And so I'm just really glad that you came across us and found our project intriguing and you're here today to join us. Yeah, absolutely. And I think to answer the second part of your question. I think it's important for women, especially those of underrepresented backgrounds, to really make themselves and each other more visible in the mainstream. And I know that, you know, your project is towards a very niche audience, but it's still really important for us to be out there, to be making ourselves seen and heard. So I just love what you're doing. And when you told me that I could be on your podcast, that's such an honor. Oh, good. Well, you got to thank Nani for that. Nani is really the one that is helping us find these incredible women and have them on our show. So thank you, Nani. Yes. Thank you, Nani. Thank you for the invitation. (laughs) My pleasure. Thank you for accepting. 
<laughs> yeah. If it wasn't for Nani, we wouldn't have a community because I'm so focused <laughs> on the production of the show and doing the interviews that like, I just like, I'm involved in my own Insta stories, you know, on Instagram, but Nani is like all over it on, on our Instagram at the Filipino American woman. So I just can't thank you enough, Nani, for doing that for our community. Yes. Yes. It's my pleasure. Well, Starla, for people that are getting to know you for the first time, this project is really dedicated to individuals who live or have lived in America that are of Filipino descent and identify as female or pronoun she, her. We also invite stories of those who identify as non-binary. So I would love for you to share a little bit about your family background and why you identify as a Filipino American woman. Yeah, I think being Filipino is such a significant part of my identity, even though I didn't grow up in the Philippines. So I'm actually based right outside of Seattle, Washington, quarantining. And I'm the daughter of Filipino immigrants. And they're originally from Mindanao, so the southern region of the Philippines. And my parents came to the U.S. I was born, but they had my older sister at the time. And they came to build better lives and careers for themselves and to build a better future for themselves and for their family. My dad's a civil engineer, so he came to the U.S. to pursue his education and grow. I wasn't born in the Philippines. I always knew I was Filipino because of the way that my mom brought us up. And at home, our parents spoke Ilongo, but it was all values that they brought us up with, right? I think a lot of immigrants, especially Filipino immigrants, can relate to being brought up with the values of working very hard, being opportunistic and resilient. So having that no excuses attitude that I'm not sure I would have had if I wasn't the daughter of immigrants. And I also think that being Filipino probably influenced my decisions early on when I was a teenager. So, you know, I take so much pride in being Filipino American because it's such a big part of who I am. When I was six years old, my parents actually moved the family back to the Philippines just for a year. And when I look back on that time now, I think that was really the year sort of sparked my interest in diversity and inclusion, which is a huge part of the work that I do now, even though I didn't realize it as a kid, because I was surrounded by different people, different, different culture, much different from what I grew up in, grew up with in Bellevue, Washington. And it, it taught me very early on that being around people and things that are different is not something to be afraid of. It's actually something that we should embrace. It's a great thing. So I'm really grateful to be Filipino American. I love that you say that. And in our notes here, you had mentioned that being different is not defective. Like just because you're different doesn't mean you're defected. And I just love that you have a pride in your cultural identity. And I think that a lot of us, I mean, myself especially, had really struggled with feeling defected growing up. Like my culture wasn't part of it at first. I, I had other reasons why I felt defected. But eventually in life, when I, you know, when my mom would buy that papaya soap and say, hey, use this, you know, so your skin can get lighter, you know, like that had sent messages to me that like, oh, I guess my skin tone isn't pretty and I can't do sports in high school. Otherwise, I'm going to get dark and I'm going to be ugly. And, you know, mm -hmm. and that had always stuck with me until one day I was using papaya soap. Like I was using it so much that my skin started to turn orange, just like the color of papaya Whoa. soap. And, <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, no. And so since then, I was like, you know what? Forget it. I remember when I started to get more comfortable with the Internet, I think I even did research on papaya soap. And I realized like how cancerous it can be because the reason why you stop turning dark is because the soap like kind of stops something in your body. From I think you're trying dark. to say melanin production slows your melanin production. Melanin. Thank you, Nani. Okay, so it melatonin stops your melanin. Melanin is what helps you sleep. <laughs> Thank you for cutting in. So melanin, melanin. So yes. I just remember that it stopped really like it would stop releasing those. And although it makes your skin lighter because you're not getting darker, it also makes you more prone to cancer, you know, because the sun and all that stuff. So I remember learning that later and I was like, you know what? I'm just like, this is the skin I have. I'm gonna have to live with it. And, you know, nowadays it, as you get older and you're around like non-Filipinos, you get told that you're exotic, you know, you're exotic, you're beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, I'll take that. Like, I mean, I still feel like you're talking to me like I'm a foreigner, but I will take it. <laughs> and it got me to really appreciate like my actual skin color and realize that being different is an advantage. 
So I, I just wanted to share that because, you know, just of how proud you are of your cultural background and how, in a way, I wish that I had that growing up. Yeah, you know, I think it's bring that up because I think every woman, whether she's Filipino or not, has some memory of when she was really young and she felt like she wasn't good enough, mm -hmm. right? And I think I mentioned to you before we started recording that I used to compete in pageants. So when I was a teenager, I competed at Miss Teen USA and my community city and beauty standards. And I kept talking about how being different is not defective. Because I remember growing up, especially in a Filipino family, Miss Universe is like your Super Bowl. It's something that it's a big event. It's a family event. Everyone watches it. And it's amazing to see all these gorgeous women who are really smart and accomplished competing on stage, especially for the U.S. pageants. As a little kid, I noticed a lot of them who were winning looked very similar. Mm. A lot of them kind of had that Barbie doll ideal. A lot of them eyes super tall. I am not tall. I'm like 5'2". And even as a kid, I knew that I would not end up being tall. But it just made me feel bad about myself. Not because I didn't, you know, that those women who were winning those pageants didn't deserve it. They absolutely did. But mm -hmm. as you grow up, you realize, like, is that really the best talent in the United States, the best competitors, do they all look the same? And mm. it's really sad when you're growing up and you don't have, you know, the context or the wisdom to see it for what it is, which is that, you know, the standards of beauty. So I think it's really interesting that you brought up that idea because every woman I've spoken to, whether she's Filipino or not, has a memory of when she was little and was made to feel like she just wasn't good enough. Really sad. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I appreciate you elaborating more on that. And yeah, and, you know, and I think if I had grown up, I mean, thank God that we grow up and realize that was all a lie. But had I, you know, continue to believe that, oh my gosh, like I, you know, I would just continue <clears throat> to feel like I'm not enough, you know? And so, I mean, I still feel like it's this daily battle of reminding myself that I'm more than enough. But for the most part, I can combat it a lot better now than even, you know, five, 10 years ago. And I know that it's probably helping so many women who are listening to your podcast too, who think, oh gosh, I'm not the only one who feels this way. Yeah. Th thank you for saying that. And that's really like my life mission with this project to surround myself with people that make me feel good about myself, as selfish as that sounds. But it also helps that it helps other people as well. <laughs> I want to check in with Nani, see if you had any thoughts. Yeah, just to elaborate on, you know, what you said about seeing or taking every opportunity to help yourself and others in your community be represented in mainstream media or just in general. I think that it's really powerful to have you, you know, come out and say that for, like you said, younger girls who feel that same way. And, you know, we all grow up kind of forming our opinions about ourselves based on how we're received in the communities around us. And it's nice that you got to experience, you know, being received differently by different communities in different places around the world and that you really embraced all those differences that you brought and that you met in those circumstances. And yeah, I think that's really beautiful. It's nice that you're proud of that and that you're proud to stand out instead of being ashamed that you don't fit in, you know, by nature. So that's refreshing to hear. Thank you. I think it's something that takes, it's an ongoing effort. It's a lot of work to get to that point too, yeah. right? It's it's not like you wake up one day and you finally think, I accept myself. Right. <laughs> it just doesn't right. happen like that. I think you <laughs> Over time, these experiences teach you, you know, wow, the things that made me different didn't make me a failure. They didn't make me less successful. They actually helped me get to where I needed to go. Had that we all kind of have to go through those tough moments to get to the other side. But once you get to the other side, it just puts everything else into perspective. And it's really quite liberating. All right. Jenny was here jumping into the middle of our show, as I always do to remind you why this show is possible. So, you know at the end of every episode, I tend to say, if you didn't catch our guest contact info, don't worry, we'll have those in the show notes. Check them out. I work so hard on them. You're welcome. Well, it's been brought to my attention that our show notes are not as easy to find as I thought. 
which is why starting summer 2020, the Filipino American Women Project is proud to be partnering with Captivate, the world's only growth-oriented podcast host. Captivate is created for independent podcasters, designed from day one to help you to focus on audience growth and the expansion of your audio influence. One way that Captivate makes our lives easier as independent podcasters is by taking the guesswork out of making a website for your show. That's right, a website for your show. So listeners, starting summer 2020, finding our show notes will be so much easier. All thanks to Captivate. You're welcome, as always. If you're about to start podcasting or are getting burnt out from all the extra work of producing one, like building a website, consider a seven-day free trial, that's right, free, with Captivate by visiting thephilamwoman.com. That's the philam, short for Filipino-American-woman.com. Or, you know, check out our show notes in the meantime, which is in the details section of each episode. Once again, you can visit thephilamwoman.com or visit the details section of this episode. Awesome, Starla. Thank you so much for sharing a little bit about your background and that diversity is beautiful. And just because you're different doesn't mean that you're defected. So really positive messages that I envy that you had known that at quite a young age. Envy in a positive way, not like I'm jealous or anything because, you know, I'm, I'm just <laughs> as cool too. So <laughs> yes, you are. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, let's go ahead and fast forward to life today, Starla. For people that are getting to know you for the first time, why don't you share what keeps you busy and most excited about life nowadays? Yeah. So we're in an interesting time. I'm barely leaving the house because of COVID-19. I'm in Washington state, so we're kind of at an epicenter, but I'm still actually I think I've even been a bit more productive than I was before everyone was self-quarantining. These days, I'm really focused on my video series that you mentioned. It's really about helping early career professionals, especially women and people of color, and helping them learn how to navigate those unique challenges. So I'm really focusing on videos about strategies to help my audience work smarter, not just harder how to build fulfilling careers, and also really how to advocating for ourselves, advocate for us, especially in a professional setting. So right now I'm working really hard on that series. I'm trying to launch an e-course later this year. And I'm just really excited because I did some interviews in the US and also in Asia and the Philippines with tech business and media leaders and a lot of really cool interviews. And I'm really excited. Oh, very cool. What do you feel like? I mean, I feel like I can list a couple things, but what have you found um, to be the unique challenges that people of color or women of color go through in their careers? So I think tying back to what we were speaking about earlier, right? That lack of representation. Mm. I think on one hand, I've spoken to college students, for example, their biggest struggles is finding people that they can relate to who are already working and are successful in the industries that they hope to join. So in my case, for example, I didn't a lot of Filipino American women in media initially, right? Because when Mm. I think of those national news anchors, there weren't that many who were women of color and let alone women of color, let alone Filipino Americans. There's that saying that you can't be what you can't see. And I think there's some truth to that, Mm. right? It takes a lot of effort for us to kind of visualize ourselves in those positions, right? Mm -hmm. I think the other part of that too is tend to like and relate to people who look like us or or people who are from similar heritage. And I think that that actually has a big role in that I've been thinking about a lot recently. The network gap is basically this idea that two people with equal talent might not have the same access to opportunities. Something that I've experienced firsthand in my career and also something that a lot of folks who I work with have experienced as well, where, you know, maybe if you were applying for a role, weren't getting called back, but then you see that the people who got those coveted positions were people who knew folks within the hiring company or mm-hmm. who had parents who knew folks. And, you know, if you're going into an industry where you are of a background that is underrepresented, it's going to take a little bit more work and more effort to get to know the right people. When I think about the issue of 
the lack of representation in different professional industries, that is one students and young professionals are trying to navigate right now. And it's really tough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I remember in college, I studied journalism and I emphasized in public relations. Yeah, fun fact. Not that I ever actually used my degree unless you count podcasting as journalism. So there you go. This totally um, counts. I think it totally counts. I call myself a journalist right here, right now. (laughs) Yes. My degree paid off, y'all. My degree paid off. But but anyway, I... um, I remember when I emphasized in public relations, my class were just mainly white women, like mainly like, I I mean, first, at first I was like, oh, cool. It's mainly like female, but it was like mainly white women. And it was very interesting for me. Like I felt uncomfortable without understanding why. And and looking back, it's like, oh yeah, because I didn't have a lot of people that look like me that I can, you know, confide in and connect with. And a lot of the women that I was in class with were very just headstrong, very confident, you know, very assumptive. And it's like, they just assumed their position, you know, there as students and everything. And for me, I just felt uncomfortable. I felt like I wasn't supposed to be there. And my only ray of hope through the program is that the dean... I think she was a dean, but like the head person of our program happened to be Chinese American. And so I loved her. Like she had a lot of sass. I was very intimidated by her, <laughs> but I was like, oh my God, I want to be just like her. Like she was the only reason, you know, that I felt like I was able to get through that program. And even though she wasn't Filipino, she was a woman of color. Like I said, had all the sass and intelligence and knowledge. And she was, you know, she, she's a published, um, you know, author and all these things. And so that was like the one thing that gave me hope. But even afterward, I decided not to pursue public relations traditionally. And I think it was really just that I think subconsciously, it was probably because of that lack of representation. And when I started working jobs that I don't know, it's it's a long story, I won't get all into it. But basically, I got fired from like four jobs consecutively in my young 20s. And the only way I was able to feel like I was able to equalize the playing field for myself was to be self-employed. And so I've been doing that for Mm. the last decade. And I'm almost scared. Honestly, I'm scared to go back into the workplace if I had to just because I'm like, well, I don't know how to like, you know, follow authority. And I hear so much about what happens in the workplace and discrimination and women not getting paid enough. And I'm just like, I don't know if I want to put myself through that. Like I think and plus, I don't like open space offices. Like I don't like when you can look at your coworker across the table. I'm like, I can't like that is overstimulating for me. So I feel like if I ever got back into a traditional career, I would probably talk to you, Starla. And I probably would need a lot of help because I'm just like not I feel I don't know if this is a story I told myself that I'm not good enough for the workplace, or the workplace is not good enough for me. (laughs) I choose to believe the latter. Okay, first of all, (laughs) for the workforce. But you know, I think you brought up an interesting point about women not getting paid enough. And also discrimination. I think a lot of times when folks of the workforce, the issues that we deal with that are related to diversity and inclusion might not even be outright discrimination. And I think a lot of people don't understand that the lack doesn't necessarily mean that your workplace is inclusive. Like there's Mm -hmm. still room for unconscious bias and microaggressions especially if you're really young and you're the youngest person on your team, if someone says a microaggression to you, you're not really going to know what to say. And I think so many of us, when we're around folks that we can relate to, or we feel like we have allies, it's a lot easier for us to speak up and have used those moments as learning moments. But if you're completely outnumbered, if you're the only, the only woman or the only woman of color, it's much harder to speak up. And I've met a lot of women, unfortunately, who have left their careers because of the toll of being the only. Mm. And that's so, so sad. And I just wish that there was a way to just fix it really quickly, but there is no quick fix. I know it's difficult to be in spaces where you're the only, whether it's in a professional space or a personal one. I think that that's something that we are naturally just always met with and probably going to be met with for the generations to come. And so I think it is important to just normalize the conversation around that those experiences 
and do what we can, like you said in the beginning, to represent and be, you know, I like the quote, and you said, you can't be what you don't see. It's, it's simple, but it's really powerful. And I've also heard it the other way around. You, you can be whatever you see. I forget where I heard that, but that is a really powerful message for kids. So, yeah. So, Starla, I have a question. So for people who are not... uh, people of color, a woman of color, maybe they're allies, or maybe they're even, you know, they're they're white, let's just say they're white. (laughs) And and like, they don't see this, like, they don't see like, oh, what are you talking about? Like, I don't see color. I don't see, I don't (sighs) see the discrimination. Like people just need to work harder. People just need to work smarter. How do you respond to that? Because it's easy for me to have these conversations with you ladies, because it's like, we're all, you know, women of color here. But like, how do you address that to people who just, who just straight up don't see it? Ooh, that's a great question. And I've asked this question a lot too, so I have to give credit where credit is due. My mentor, Ruchika Tolshian, is a diversity and inclusion star in Seattle. And I think she said it best when she said, sure, maybe if you're not a person of color, you're not a woman, you can't relate to those experiences. But we've all had, we felt like we didn't belong. Mm. So I think that if you frame conversations from not belonging, that's something that everyone from all walks of life can relate to another. I think also to a mistake that a lot of folks make when they're trying to convince someone of the validity of an inclusion initiatives is a lot of times it's personal, right? Mm-hmm. Like we have these personal experiences that make it very emotional. And when we approach the end and we let that, unfortunately, if you make your anger too apparent, it almost makes it hard for the other person to listen to you. So I think if you're talking to someone, definitely don't feel like you need to clap back right away. Yeah. (laughs) Because I think as soon as it gets very adversarial, people stop listening because they need to armor up and get defensive. But it's it's in those vulnerable moments where, where real listening happens. And the other sad truth, and this is something that I've done an interview on, not everyone will be able to have these conversations. It's yeah. When it comes to diversity and inclusion, it really is a journey. It might be really hard for someone to ever see the world. And for the person who's trying to do the convincing, before we even try to do the convincing, I think we have to take a step back and think, you know, is this going to be worst for me? Was Mm -hmm. it going to be worth the emotional turmoil of me talking about how, you know, being a woman or a person of color has negatively impacted my life? Because what if you get very vulnerable with this person and they still don't get it? How are you going to feel after that? And you have to decide if it's worth it. And of course, if it's safe, like if you are in a work environment and, you know, let's say hypothetically, your bring inclusion issue to your boss or a superior, it might not be the best idea to bring it up if you're not sure how the other person will respond, which is really sad. But, you know, you don't know if you're going to be punished for it in some way. It might not be worth it for you. So that's something that. I like to say, especially from college students, and I always say, you know, be really careful before you even start the conversation, get a better idea of who the other person is, and maybe see if you can bring your own into the conversation. It's important when you're having those types of conversations or when you feel the need to have those types of conversations, especially in like a professional workplace that you meet people where they're at, you know, you have to do that. And that is the part that I think is really difficult and that a lot of us struggle with sometimes is that we just are so passionate or hell-bent about getting our point across and getting the other person to agree with us or to see what we see that we don't see that, you know, the parameters, the lens that they're looking through is like completely different than the one that we're looking through. And they're the only ones that can make the decision to switch that lens. So I think that's a huge point to bring up. 
Yeah, this is a very interesting conversation. And I feel like, you know, I, I had recently spoke at a podcast conference for the first time, like a couple of weeks ago, and I had two speaking engagements. And actually, the first reason why I was accepted or approved to speak there was for this podcast show, the Filipino American Woman Project. But then one of my girlfriends in the military space, because my husband and I work with military families, um, she had invited me to be part of like the military creator con aspect of the conference. And so in putting my speaker bio together, and I'm almost like to say this, but not really, but I felt like I had to almost like whitewash <laughs> my bio. Now I did mention like, you know, what my podcast was about, but I think when I was putting my title together, I felt more comfortable spelling out the name of my other podcast show that would appeal to, let's say like, you know, the white mainstream audience. And then I put the Filipino American Woman Project in acronyms. So I said the TIFA project. And it's hard for me to kind of be around. I almost feel like I have this you know, like double identity, whatever you call it, as we, as we all do as Filipino Americans. And I just think like in that moment, like being at that conference, I felt like I had to juggle between my two different identities. And I almost felt bad, you know, for having to do that. Because even my own name tag that I was wearing said the Filipino American Woman Project. But for my first speaking engagement, that was not what it was about. And I didn't want to show that. Do you guys hear what I'm saying? Like just how I felt about that and how I feel ashamed, but also like knowing that I did that instinctively because there was a part of me that felt like I knew I had to do that in order to fit in. It's and, your um, switching. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it was so interesting to like, to just observe myself do that. Like I remember like at one point my husband was with me and this happens quite often where I'm like the only like, you know, minority woman, like, cause my husband's white and, you know, white guys tend to be attracted to him and want to talk to him. Not, not in like a, a gay way. He's very straight, <laughs> but like, you know, just other, other straight white men want to talk to him. And a lot of times I'm, it's me and like three, four other white guys, you know, and there's a part of me that feels like, I'm shrinking, you know, even though I was the one that had two speaking engagements and my husband was just there to support me. You know, it was, it was right. so interesting. So mm. I thought I'd get both of your thoughts on that. I, I think I'm still processing that experience. Hey, everyone. Jen Amos, again, taking the time to say thank you in advance for supporting our ability to share your stories by listening to our ads. As more of us have no choice but to work from home, one problem is becoming apparent focus. How do you focus when you, one, never worked from home, two, are reminded why you've never worked from home, and three, you need to figure out how to make it work anyway? Well, comes in my favorite music app that I've personally been using since 2017, Focus at Will. Neuroscientists have recently discovered that certain types of personalized music can help you focus, reduce distractions, and maintain productivity when working and studying. Focus at Will's exclusive instrumental music library keeps your mind from avoiding two undesirable traits, distraction and habituation. Distraction can be a result of anything in the day-to-day -day life, while habituation stems out of being bored with your surroundings or the task at hand. The music at Focus at Will is crafted to balance your mind between distraction and habituation, keeping you focused on your work, Focus at Will studies reveal a 200 to 400% increase in focus time with their most active users, including myself. Sign up for a one-week free trial, that's right, one-week free, today by visiting thephilamwoman.com. That's thephilam, philam, which is short for Filipino-American, woman.com. Or check out our show notes, which is in the details section of this episode. Once again, you can visit thephilamwoman.com to get your one-week trial of Focus at Will or visit the detail section of this episode. Yeah, you know, I absolutely relate to this idea of not wanting to share too much about how you really feel if you can't quite read the audience. And I yeah. think sometimes that's a good strategic because like I said earlier, if you say something that you know that the other person really disagrees with, they're going to stop listening to you. However, I've been in situations where I feel kind of shy to talk about Career Survival Guide and how it specifically serves and is tailored to folks of underrepresented backgrounds. Mm -hmm. 
recently I was in San Francisco for a catalyst program for media entrepreneurs. It was going to help me build my business. And, you know, we were at this networking event and we were mingling with other folks there. They were in the same building, but they were not from the same program or the same organization even. And they were asking me about what I do. And it was these two white guys. And you might assume they won't get it as well as we do. They don't understand diversity and inclusion. But, you know, they seemed really nice. And so they asked me about what I do. And even though they couldn't relate to a lot of the issues that I brought up, they were really willing to listen because these conversations on diversity and inclusion were not conversations for So I was speaking to these older white men, maybe in their 30s, early 40s, and I was telling them about how I interviewed Mariana Atencio, a former MSNBC correspondent, about microaggressions. And Mm. I know a lot of women who have had very similar experiences, and you could tell that they didn't realize how pervasive microaggressions were just weren't having those conversations. And it was a moment where we could actually have a conversation where I could tell them about my experiences. And they were like, oh my God, we had no idea this was such a big issue. (laughs) That's like an issue that you have to live with almost every day. But I do think that, you know, maybe there are some folks who won't get it, but I think you might bring more good just by being visible because It's possible that the other person doesn't understand the types of issues and circumstances that we've had to deal with. Yeah, I agree. And I think that it's also important, like she said, to just be visible and to just be you, whatever that means authentically, because... I mean, for me, in my experience, that code switching thing is like at the core of my identity because I have to do it with my family, right? I do it when I'm with my Filipino family, I'm a certain way. When I'm with my white family, I'm a certain way. And as I'm getting older, whether it's in those personal or professional spaces, it's really important to me to exactly that, be visible and show up as myself and think of when I'm met with these like awkward conversations or weird comments, microaggressions, things like that. Like as I'm trying to be more mindful about how I respond to things, I try to think of how I can incorporate all sides of me into my response, right? Because I'm Mm -hmm. ratchet, but I'm also very professional. (laughs) I'm, you know what I mean? Like I'm ghetto, but I'm also very, very like stickler, like a grammar stickler. So it's kind of like you you have to honor all the parts of yourself in your responses when you're having those conversations in order to convey like the complexity of your response. Ladies, I, I appreciate the words of encouragement. And I feel like this is a show that I would listen over and over just because I feel like there was a lot of verbiage and a lot of language that I can incorporate in my day to day, especially when I'm in places where I feel underrepresented, but still have to show up and still have to be visible. And it it was interesting because I only started hearing people of color and women of color. I started hearing that phrase just recently, like I think in the last year or so. And uh, for my present... Yeah, I I know. I just, I'm so, I'm like in a bubble. But I remember I was adding it in my presentation. I said, oh, I'm a woman of color. And my husband, he was all like, woman of color is not for Asians. Like like he said, it's for like African-Americans, for example. He's like, oh, it's for them. And I was all like, you sure? And and he was like, I don't know. I mean, that's what I had assumed. He's like, don't you think he's like, don't you think that African Americans are going to like take that offensively that you're taking their title? And I was like, I don't know. I was like, I literally, I, like, I, I literally think so. No. Yeah, I literally did not know. It's just like how when I first heard millennial for the first time, like someone said, Oh, you're such a millennial. I was like, what is that? And I had to like, look it up. I was like, Oh, I'm totally a millennial. But like when <laughs> you know, now being called women of color, it's like, Oh, does that mean like all women that are non white, you know, like, are they considered women of color or is it just for a particular ethnic background so even I'm still learning I mean and that's a complicated question as well to go to extend that to people like me who are mixed with white Mm -hmm. but I'm also not white so does that make me a woman of color or does that make me a white woman can I be both like (laughs) you know what I mean because I am both but will you allow me to be both Mm. Ooh. Ooh. Not not to get deeper, but (laughs) no, I love this. Like I'm actually sitting still trying to decide. Like, how do you answer that question? (laughs) I feel like we're all tongue tied right now. 
Cool. Well, we're not going to solve these issues today. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But hopefully for our listeners, this will, you know, put a bug in your ear or get you to, you know, think even for yourself, like how you identify and how you feel underrepresented and also how you show up in the workplace. And, you know, hopefully our conversation also has given you some verbiage or language that you can use to continue to show up as you are to the best of your ability. Because I know even for myself, if I'm in an environment where I do feel like the minority and it's clear to me, I have to make a decision in that moment, like, okay, am I going to shrink or am I just going to embrace this and just focus on being present and having conversations with people and not make it about my skin? Like, do I even think about my skin? You know, mm-hmm. but I guess I find that I think if I just focus on being human, (laughs) you know, and just having an open dialogue with people, even if I get asked, like, where are you from? No, where are you really from? Being able to ask that back and, and neutralizing that question, I think like that could be I don't know. It's interesting. I don't. I don't have an answer. I don't have a conclusion. Um, But I I do. Answer is to not think so much about your response and just be whatever comes to you in that moment. You know. Yeah. Yes. Like be whoever you are, however you truly are responding in your mind, just do it out loud. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Sometimes I get like, sometimes when I'm around my husband, I really get into being like a straight up like woman of color. Like, well, you know, our country, I get all historical. It's like, well, the reason why I'm acting this way is because culturally, you know, the women have been stripped away of their femininity. You're the enemy. <laughs> you know, oh. Sometimes I'll do that. And like, you know, my husband is like more of a history buff than I am. So it's like, I never win unless I'm angry. Usually when I'm angry, that's when he submits and it's fine. <laughs> Like, okay, you can think that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Obviously, we don't have answers for today, but, you know, for our listeners, definitely encourage you to comment in, you know, find us on Instagram, the Filipino American woman, or shoot us an email or even a voice message and let us know your thoughts on this. Because at least for me, I feel like this is just an ongoing conversation. And I think the more we talk about it, the more answers we'll find and the more solutions we'll have for these types of uncomfortable conversations. So thank you, ladies for indulging me in this and even giving me words of encouragement to show up as I am. Yes, of course. I think it's a great idea to ask your audience on Instagram or whichever platform, because I think especially I'm trying to think, you know, of times when I felt like I've had to shrink and kind of not be myself left those situations knowing for sure that I made the right decision. Whereas I feel like when I've been in situations where I've decided, oh, what the heck, I'm just going to be myself. So it's an interesting little experiment to do. But of course, only do that if it's, you know, safe to do it. There's some with some company, but I would encourage people to try it. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, especially with what's going on in today's times with the COVID-19, I should say it a little more appropriate. I feel I feel like coronavirus is such a long name. So COVID-19, especially with this right now and you know, people of Asian descent are being targeted, you know, for supposedly bringing oh, this disease so to the world. Sad. Yeah, it's so sad. Yeah, and in a way I'm just really grateful that we all are in a lockdown so that, you know, it's not just to not spread the disease, but I think it's just for everyone's safety, especially those of Asian descent. Yeah, to not get attacked. Because I I mean, I've been seeing videos, I've been hearing people talk out about it. And it's just so crazy. But I believe that we still need to show up as we are. And people cannot attack us over the radio. So there you go. (laughs) You have no choice but to listen to us. (laughs) So there's my hope for all of us is that we can still represent ourselves in a safe space from the comfort of our home over a podcast show. So with that said, ladies, we are getting to the final question of our interview today. I think we just had such a tremendous conversation so far that I said I will most likely listen to again and again because (laughs) I need to pick up this language and verbiage, as I keep saying, so that I can show up as I am. So the purpose of this project is to collect a series of life lessons and stories told by Filipino American women. And so Starla, you had mentioned in our notes here that your life lesson you want to share today is that you have to learn how to really advocate for yourself because no one else will do it for you. I would love for you to elaborate on that and share an aspect of your life, maybe a story that had led you to this life lesson. Yeah. And I think advocating for yourself, that applies to all facets of life. 
and the work that I do, I think about it a lot in the career and professional development context. So earlier I mentioned the network gap. It's the idea that people, you know, for example, two people have the same access to opportunities. That was something that I struggled with a lot, especially as a college student. At the time, I knew that I really wanted to go into journalism. I a TV news anchor one day. That was the dream back then. <laughs> and I would follow all of the advice of career counselors at the University of Washington. I took the extra courses to get more video skills. I made myself what I thought was like the perfect candidate on paper. It was tough for me at the time because I was working so hard and I noticed that those coveted internship and job opportunities often went to folks who had parents who knew someone within those media companies. And that's when I learned that it wasn't enough for me to just work hard in silence and not wait for the opportunities to come to me because if I had spent all that time waiting, I never would have gotten those opportunities. So for me, it was about becoming more strategic about the people that I reached out to and also how I reached out to them, right? Mm. Because when I saw people who had those connections within the companies, I figured, okay, I don't have those connections through my family, but how do I get those connections? And I just slowly figured it out. As a college student, I had begun my senior year with zero internship experience, and I was really anxious about that. But by the time that I graduated college, I had graduated with two TV news job offers, a portfolio that I was really proud of, and of course, four journalism internships under my belt. It's not like mm. I was doing anything vastly different other than learning how to really advocate for myself. So wow. fast forward to now. Thank you. <laughs> so we're shooting this podcast on the 24th of March. So in a couple of days, I'm going to start anchoring news segments on KCTS 9, which is Channel 9 here. And Seattle is the number 12 news market in the country. And I Girl. never thought that I would have this opportunity. Thank you. I'm like really happy about it. <laughs> and yes. the crazy part, I was that senior in college with no internship experience. And I thought my career was over. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just thought like, this is so unattainable. But I got the job that I wanted when I was in college. And I didn't have to audition because the hiring manager knew of me through someone else. I'm saying this because I really hope that if there's someone in your audience, especially a woman in college or who's early in her career, who thinks that her dreams are just unattainable, you can really get to your goals much faster than you think you can if you have the right strategy. And it really starts with that mindset shift of learning how to advocate for yourself. It's really about planting the seeds now and going to the opportunities and even creating opportunities yourself. Mm. I remember I was told years ago that it's not like who you know, it's who knows you. And uh, yes. I think, you know, part of advocating for yourself is creating those types of connections with people where they will keep you in mind. And so you know, even though I said earlier on this conversation that I was fired from four jobs uh, consecutively in my young 20s, <laughs> good times, all of those jobs, I I got them because people knew me, like people recommended yeah. me, like people had asked me, I, I remember... <laughs> Yeah, like no joke. I, I remember in college, like one of my, like he was like a youth leader for a YMCA and I knew him while I was in high school. And I remember every year when I was in college, he was like, hey, you got to work at this charter school. Like I want you to work here. And every year I kept turning him down. <laughs> and then finally, when I graduated, I was like, what am I going to do with my life? He's like, hey, we're opening up a school closer to you. I was like, oh, okay, I'll take it. I, I mean, I got fired, but still it was like, like it was funny because when, <laughs> when I got hired, it was then he said, oh, by the way, can you give me your resume so I could just have it on file? Like he didn't even ask for it to begin with. And then he had invited me to, you know, interview other candidates to work with us because it was this new school and they were like hiring a bunch of new people. So, you know, no work experience. I submitted my resume after I was hired and then I was asked to help with the hiring and all because mm -hmm. I knew someone, you know, and then even after that, like the other jobs that I had, you know, same thing, I was just recommended. And so I truly believe that, yeah, it's not necessarily necessarily like, you know, who you know, but who knows you. And I think it goes along the same lines of you saying that you advocate for yourself. And I think for me, it, it's all about, 
you know, the networking that you do and being your most genuine self and showing up as you are um, in the best way possible. And yeah, and then magic will happen. <laughs> magic happens. <laughs> Well, Starla, thank you so much for just sharing your story. And you just have such a wealth of knowledge when it comes to you know pursuing your career and also sharing the career survival guide. Do you have any closing thoughts for us before we wrap up and share how people can get a hold of you? Yeah, I think I just want to reiterate what I said earlier. I would challenge someone listening to this to think about the things that make them different, that they think maybe are their weaknesses as your greatest competitive advantages. I think especially when you apply that to a career context, to the workforce, we need to have a diverse workforce. It's better for companies because you have that unique perspective that your coworkers, colleagues, and superiors don't have. And that is so valuable. So being different does not make you defective. Mm, beautifully said. Well, Starla, if anyone is interested in learning more about the Career Survival Guide, or they just want to get a hold of you, how can they find you? So I'm on all of the socials, but I think the best way to reach me is Instagram or YouTube. So if you just want to look at the content, just type in Career Survival Guide Starla Sampaco on YouTube and you'll find me right away. But to connect with me personally, they can add a note, say that you heard me on the podcast. I'm also on Instagram at, at Starla Sampaco. Awesome. Well, wow, what a conversation. We could talk all night, if only I had wine, like Nani does. Uh, but <laughs> I don't we could do a Zoom conference for happy hour. Yes, yes. We're going to need to start doing those. <laughs> yeah, we were thinking, like Nani and I were even talking about having like just live calls where people, like if people just want to join us and just banter and like yeah. just talk about like how we're all doing at home. So yeah, this episode will be released like this week only because like I'm behind on publishing episodes. And because yeah, we don't have anything else to do but to publish these episodes. So um, so be out soon. And we'll probably talk more about that live show. We'll see if it happens. Until then, Nani, I want to thank you again for co-hosting with me as always. You're welcome again, as always. And to Starla, I want to thank you as well. I'm excited to listen to this again. And uh, to our listeners, if you want to get a hold of Starla and you didn't get that information, don't worry. I always include all the contact info in the show notes, which is in the details section of each episode. Or stay tuned for our upcoming website in summer 2020. <laughs> so, you're, so you're welcome, as always. Uh, with that said, <laughs> I want to thank you all so much for listening. And we look forward to speaking with you in the next episode. Episode. Tune in next time. Bye, guys. Thanks so much, Jen.